Hello, and welcome to all you NetSuite listeners. Thanks so much for tuning into the NetSuite podcast. I'm Megan O'Brien, NetSuite's resident business and finance editor, which means that you have tuned in to our Office of the CFO series. Now, you're in for a special treat today because the Office of the CFO podcast, this one's going to be a little bit different. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing the results of the CFO.com survey, which was fielded by Wakefield Research and sponsored by NetSuite. Joining me to discuss is Andy Burt, Managing Director and Head of Content at CFO and Performative. If you're a frequent listener, you actually might remember him from a podcast we did covering Sweet World last year. So we talk about some of the major findings of the survey, including top concerns of companies, status of tech adoption, and how the finance team and CFO are perceived by the rest of the company. Stay tuned. It's going to be one informative episode. You're listening to the NetSuite podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Andy. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Megan. Uh, great to talk to you again. It's, uh, it's, it's a great time of the year to be talking about Outlook, so I'm excited to dig into this. And how are you doing today? It's, uh, it's been an interesting beginning to the year, and I don't know how, how you and your company have been, have been thinking about this, but with so much uh, economic uh, uncertainty and, and changes in expectations, I know that our company is, is constantly thinking about what do we need to do to continue to, to do things well, and, and CFO is, is always going to be on top of that. So, uh, you know, it's, there's never going to be a shortage of news, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, uh, part of my morning routine is I uh, read the financial news from a bunch of different publications, but, you know, it kind of feels like a back and forth, like, oh, we're feeling like a potential recession. Oh, perhaps not. So, uh, it's been just the start of 2023 has been a lot of back and forth from what I've seen. So I'm excited for this survey too, to kind of add a little more definition to those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that we're going to see and delve into is CFOs are having a little bit of that kind of question mark as well. And, and that's okay because it's not just about, uh, being afraid of the uncertainty, but it's actually having a plan for how you're going to approach it. Yeah. And I, I think I'm not unique in the standpoint that I I enjoy getting the perspective of other people, um, understanding mm-hmm. what their thoughts are. And that that's why I think all the survey is really rewarding because it shows, hey, we're all in the same boat, but here's what we're going towards. And I think just having that input is going to be incredibly valuable for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, before we get into the deep, deep data, where are you recording from today? I reside on the East Coast. I am just outside of Washington, D.C., where we are headquartered. Uh, the CFO team is global, and so, you know, we could be anywhere at any time, uh, just like uh, just like NetSuite. But mm-hmm. uh, for me personally, I am in Virginia right now. Oh, perfect. Well, that's awesome. You? Where, where are you? Where are you I, I am high up in the mountains of Colorado in Breckenridge, so... I I said this to you before we hit record, but if you hear some avalanche bombs in the background, everything's okay here. Just a lot of dynamite going off in the background. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, yeah, I'll try not to get too freaked out if that happens. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm just going to kind of dive right in. 
one thing I did want to note first is the official title of the survey is the CFO.com survey fielded by Wakefield Research and sponsored by NetSuite. But that's quite a bit of a mouthful. So from here on out, we're just going to be referring to it as the CFO.com survey or just survey for brevity's sake. Sounds good. And I think it's important to, to note also that this is really an outlook survey. It's about what CFOs and executives and managers are thinking about in 2023. And so much of what we'll be talking about is this uh, this year, this year that we're now in and, and what is to come. Now, Andy, can you give us a little bit of um, kind of the background on the survey, uh, you know, when it was it was fielded, who it went to, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we fielded this survey in Q4. And, and so all of the data points that uh, that are built into a lot of the responses uh, reflect that that set of data points, things like GDP and employment uh, report and things like that. And, uh, and so we collected the data at the end of November and that the survey went out to 500 different people. So the, that 500 people are comprised of 300 CFOs, 100 non-CFO executives of the rest of the C-suite essentially, and then 100 managers who typically report to the CFOs in the C-suite. And so what we have tried to do is obtain uh, both a specific point of view for CFOs, which is, you know, what we do uh, at CFO.com. But also it's important to understand how they connect and how their roles interplay with both their peers and their direct reports and the and the people, the, the individuals who are responsible for the implementation of much of the strategy that CFOs must craft through good times and bad. And so I think it gives us a really good breadth. And, and in terms of the, uh, the size of the companies, we definitely like to veer more towards the, what I would call the, uh, the the post startup, but maybe the pre IPO kind of company. That is, could be anywhere from uh, 50 million to 250 million in revenue. And the reason why I find that segment the most interesting, and, and you know, opinions vary, of course, but those are the companies that are trying to figure out how to grow and scale and expand and incorporate different types of strategies and they don't always have the same level of resources that a fortune 500 company might and so not only is the company evolving quickly but the cfos and the leadership have to evolve quickly as well and to me as a news person and as overseeing these surveys that is super interesting to me because you can find a lot of gold in terms of insight about how they think and how they approach things and Something that I think I've noticed, um, NetSuite has been involved in some capacity in the survey for several quarters now, several years now, really. But we do a quarterly, and I think why we really, really lean towards this is because it's definitely a gap out there. Uh, there's a lot of surveys out there that cover really, really big companies, and that's just going to be a bit of a different sentiment and different courses of actions than this, like you said, kind of post-startup company. So I think it is really filling a void in um, the marketplace in terms of content uh, and getting that insight out there. Yeah, th that's a great point. And I certainly try to track as many CFO-centric surveys as I possibly can, uh, because you're always going to get some different perspectives. And what you want to do is if you want to create an imagery, you want to you want a tapestry of sorts that that hangs on your wall, and you're getting all sorts of different puzzle pieces that you can then fit together to see. Okay, what are the consistent storylines that I'm seeing across 
all these different types of, of CFO surveys. And then what are the outliers? What are the weird puzzle pieces that just don't seem to fit in anywhere else? Because those are where you're going to find the true insight as to what's going on, is when you find the, uh, you know, the, the fish that has kind of fallen out of the school uh, and what are they doing over there? Why, why are they thinking that way? And so, you know, we try to capture a certain segment. It's not everybody because we don't want everybody because that's going to tell us less than I think what we're able to do with this specific survey. Exactly. And while speaking of creation and storylines, when creating this survey, what was the goal of you and your team? What, what exactly were you looking to find out from the survey? Great question. You know, di different surveyors have different points of view on this. But for me, we always want CFO.com to be for CFOs and by CFOs. And so when we do our reporting, uh, we are reporting on the trends and the things that shape the way CFOs approach their job and their company. But we also need the voices of the CFOs to chime in as well through interviews, through Q&As, through even contributed pieces that they send to us so that we, we then publish and because they have the insight that we don't. And so we need those perspectives. And so when we go into a survey like this, we have to hear the point of view of the, of the CFOs that we want represented in our publication. So there is a, a comprehensiveness in the storytelling that's important to CFO.com that we're trying to do. But also we go through a day-to-day -day basis, just like uh, you and I were, were saying a few minutes ago that we have this view about where we are as an economy as businesses in terms of what's what's coming down the the next couple quarters what's what's the rest of 2023 going to look like we have this point of view but we 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 need to know what more people have uh, what they're thinking about so that when we go to tell the stories we have a better understanding uh, so that we can ask better questions and when they give us complex and nuanced answers we're not simply uh, stenographers, but we're actually able to in engage in that conversational process so that what we can report, the stories that we can tell, and the things that we can publish, like the survey, actually have real meaning behind it. And can you give, for anyone who might have the concentration span of a goldfish, I've been guilty of that, <laughs> can you give a high-arching view of the survey findings? I would say the, the biggest takeaway to me is that in my opinion, we have not really seen an economic situation like this, maybe ever, where there's such mm -hmm. a strange confluence of different forces in play. Other, you know, opinions may vary on that, of course, but even with all of that going on and and the uh, the challenges, global challenges, uh, let alone the uh, the the yeah the the countrywide and then the local challenges, there's still a lot of optimism. Maybe we call it conservative optimism. Maybe we call it cautious optimism. But CFOs are not afraid of the situation. And to me, that's actually not only interesting, but kind of affirming in a way, because it means even if we, we read the news, as you were saying, and we, we see the doom and gloom, or we see a bad GDP report or a bad employment report, and we think, oh my goodness, the, the chicken little sky is falling. Like, actually, no. Uh, the people who are making decisions, they're making calls about how to drive their business, how to protect their uh, their employees, how to maintain growth strategy, even amidst potential recession and an inflationary environment, they're still okay. And, and some of the reasons why that is, I think we can get into in a few minutes. But but I think that's the overarching message. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of a gives you a good feeling about uh, we're I think we're in good hands, at least, you know, uh, amidst the uh, 
a lot of the companies that we we engage with and, and even work for. Yeah. And something I've noted over the quarters is there's definitely an, an increase in resilience um, because we've mm-hmm. been fielding the survey back before 2020. And so we got to see them kind of going about their normal and then 2020 hit and things got pretty bad and things were pretty pessimistic. And now we're hitting a point in this quarterly survey data where we're seeing like a, yeah, wasn't as bad as it was. So we're mm-hmm. good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- th- this is a great perspective. You know, we, anytime we're in the middle of something, you know, even something as, as catastrophic as a pandemic, there is this sense of we may not make it out. Um, and, but I think that's where leadership, you know, whether you're talking about in, in a civic sense or in, in a company sense, that's where the leaders really start to shine through. And yeah, we've been talking to, to CFOs for years, you and I, and, and we get a sense of, you know, the, both the confidence, the humility, and, and just the, the continued resilience that, that these kinds of leaders have shown to say, we're not going to fall apart, uh, even if we have an economic shock even if we have to, to figure out new supply chain routes, even if we have to find new suppliers, we, we're we going to be able to do that. Uh, we're, we're not going to be afraid of the challenge. We're going to, to just dig into it. And, then, and I don't think it's that's too over-the-top Pollyanna-ish because I, I hear it over and over again from, from the CFOs and the business leaders that I talk to. And uh, perhaps, you know, and this this is my own working theory, the, the pandemic situation was a a refining a refining moment for a lot of these leaders where they realized even even in bad situations we can move forward we can grow and we saw a lot of a lot of companies grow very quickly over the last two years and so now it's like oh this is just inflation well i know how to deal with that that's that's not an unknown thing for me and so it's almost like they're able to take the the crisis management of the last two years and now morph it into more normalized strategy with a greater familiarity and then therefore uh, confidence. And how do you think that kind of cautious optimism that they have, how does that translate into the respondents' economic outlooks? I, we kind of said this before, but right now I do feel like it's a little bit back and forth in terms of just looking at the news. How did respondents feel about the 2023 U.S. economy? I think... Um, you know, and we just got a, the the GDP advance report out that, right. that said mm-hmm. uh, the Q4 grew. Actually, in my opinion, a lot a lot greater than than a lot of us anticipated. And and so prior to that number coming out, a lot of the prognosticators and the forecasters and the the economists were thinking uh, recession is probably going to hit us in 2023. It's probably going to last two to three quarters. Uh, we just did a story on CFO.com about that. And that that may change uh, given the uh, the GDP. Now, GDP is a, is a monstrosity of, of, a, of a calculation. And so there are things that can ebb and flow with, with that number. But I don't even know if, if, if CFOs are that worried because recession is not something a lot of them are unfamiliar with. And so they're they're looking at it as, okay, what are the levers that I have to pull? There are always things that CFOs know they have at their disposal that they can do in order to navigate the ship. Things like, okay, are we going to increase prices? Are we going to uh, cut costs? Are we going to pivot from revenue focus to profitability focus? Are we going to protect our margins better? Are we going to 
protect our capital better? How are we going to manage our, our cash flow in a more conservative way? Are we going to do layoffs? And I have to tell you that the the L word, the the layoffs word, even even though we're seeing some some larger tech companies uh, do some do some layoffs over the past few months, it's not, not top of mind for a lot of the people that that responded to our survey. And in fact, uh, in one of the one of the responses, they said it's probably low on on the the ranking of things that CFOs should be doing first in order to to keep us afloat. And so. It's always going to be a part of the calculation, but I think the fact that it's not the first thing uh, or even the second or third thing that that uh, companies are thinking about doing both shows a confidence in, in their company's ability to sustain themselves, but also a higher level of strategic planning that, that CFOs in the C-suite are doing so that they don't lose their talent that they work so hard to acquire. And as we know, the talent issue is still an issue in 2023. Right. And so if they're not as much looking towards layoffs, if gosh forbid there is a recession, where are people, where were respondents kind of looking to cut costs if if that would happen? Yeah, it's a good question. And and I think they're always going to be looking at, okay, what is what are the product lines that we offer? Do we need to scale any of those back? Uh, do we need to kind of centralize what, what we're trying to do? Uh, are there operational things that we can slow down uh, in order to, to just focus on doing the things that we do best? One of the curiosities, though, and I'd love to get your take on this, Megan, is we know that the, that the, the workforce talent problem has not really changed. It's still super tight. Companies are still saying over and over again, we cannot acquire enough talent to maintain the growth strategy that we want to do. And when we do find it, we do have to pay more than we have in the past. And so there's a new reality that a lot of companies are dealing with in terms of just finding and acquiring the talent that they need and then retaining them. So we know that's on the upswing, but the but also from a budget standpoint, they're they're having to ask themselves, do we need to lower the the, the amount of investment there? Because it's getting really, really expensive. And there is a threat of creating a what's called a, a wage spiral, where it just keeps going up and up and up to keep track and keep pace with inflation. And suddenly you're, you're in a position where you can't acquire the talent you need and the, that which you can acquire cannot perform at the level that you need in order to, to maintain your growth trajectory. So I don't know if you've been talking to anybody or if you have any other perspective on that, but it seems like that is going to become an issue that, that companies just have to figure out how to deal with is the increase in talent, but also reducing the amount of money they spend on the talent acquisition and retention. Yeah, that was one of um, the points in the survey that I actually found the most interesting. Um, I I got the sneak peek at the data and um, I was looking at it and I was like, some of this doesn't totally make sense because there was something along the lines of 80% of respondents said, oh, we're going to face like really critical hiring needs uh, in 2023 in the first half. But then when we asked around, oh, okay, if there's a recession, where are you going to cut the budget? Um, there were a lot of respondents that said, oh, we're going to cut around hiring and we're going to cut around retaining. Like we, mm -hmm. we just can't put as much money there. So I kind of, you know, it was like, these are two very opposite thoughts, but I think the general consensus from what I interpreted was we need talent, but we're just not able to kind of afford it. 
um, especially if there is a recession. So I think, and we'll we'll delve into this a little bit later, but I, I think that a lot of uh, people, especially CFOs, but a lot of people said, we're just going to turn to tech adoption to help with our workforce issues. And um, our general intent with adopting this technology is that we're not going to have to hire as much because frankly, it's it's a competitive market to get talent and we can't afford to do it. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right there. And 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 what I would I would tack on to to what you just said is that labor markets ebb and flow just like any other market. And so mm-hmm. right now it's when it comes to talent, it is a seller's market. And and people can and should maximize that to their their individual potential. And that's and that's what we see. They're looking for you know, not only greater compensation, but just greater, you know, experiences with their companies that I think that's a, that's a clear cultural shift in a lot of the uh, the workforce today. Um, but there will eventually be a, a shift in that as well. But companies can't always necessarily wait for that shift. They have to be proactive in this. And and to your point, they they know that they have to, to spend money on the technology, especially in the finance teams. Uh, because as as transactions become greater and greater and more complex uh, and the rules around them become something that you have to be able to stay on top of, the technology piece is is really critical. And, and so we're still seeing uh, a willingness from CFOs to invest in technology for the finance teams to to be involved in in the uh, the decision making, partnering with the CIO probably about where to spend, how much to spend, and what it's going to do if you can't retain the same levels of talent uh, in, as in the past. And then a couple of numbers that I was just looking at from the survey, uh, we asked, uh, you know, wh- what do you think, do you think your, your capital spend in tech is going to increase or decrease this year? And 75% said it's going to either drastically increase or moderately increase. And so they see this as a buying opportunity for, for technology in order to help support their operations on a day-to-day basis. And then this is a surprise to me is that CFOs want to be actively engaged in this process as well. They're not as willing to simply delegate it either to, to their staff or just let the CIO handle it. They want to be involved. So uh, 84% said they want to be really, really involved in the, uh, the technology spend decision-making and so I think that really shows you where the, the, the CFO's heads are at. How did six out of the top seven best performing tech stocks gain visibility and control over financials, inventory, planning, and budgeting with NetSuite by Oracle? Answers at netsuite.com slash code, netsuite.com slash code. Yeah, and something that I found personally interesting was the fact that I think uh, the smaller companies are placing a larger emphasis on technology, likely due to the aforementioned troubles with getting talent. Um, so smaller companies were more likely to cite technology adoption as a way to deal with workforce issues. Um, I think it was about 36% said technology or adoption is our top tactic for dealing with it. And then mm-hmm. smaller company CFOs were actually uh, more likely to want talent with technology acumen than larger company CFOs. It was like 30% versus 23%. Uh, So they're looking one for like people that can run the technology, but two, but they're, they're very much looking for technology to kind of take over some of that, that work that's getting harder to find talent for. 
Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. And I, and I think that for the smaller companies, they're, they're still relatively nimble, uh, mm -hmm. especially as they're thinking about how are we going to scale? How are we going to figure out growth strategy this year? And unlike some, some larger companies, you know, and, uh, one, you know, one sort of tragic one would be, which would be the, the Southwest Airlines uh, situation that just happened, still relying on a lot of legacy technology, and that didn't end well for them. Uh, and then maybe a more no. humorous one, the uh, the Citigroup situation with Revlon uh, that happened a couple years ago when somebody accidentally issued a $900 million payment through their, their banking software because it was so out of date, looked like it was built on Windows 3.1 or something like that. Um, <laughs> larger companies, they're just going to have issues with it. And, uh, and these kinds of decisions become really weighty. But I think for the smaller companies and the ones that we care about more, they, they realize that you don't have to do a massive overhaul in the technology in order to streamline some of those processes, uh, especially when you have smaller teams, you have uh, less training that you have to go through. So, so I think just the fact that the CFOs are fully engaged in this technology process is a really good sign for the company. And then when it's time to scale outward, they they may be able to then go out and find that extra talent as well. Exactly. And so I kind of already gave a spoiler into what I thought was personally, what I thought was the most interesting and uh, salient aspect of the survey for me. I just find it really interesting that tech adoption is increasing just because, you know, I have like a very bird's eye view of the situation. We've just been talking about workforce issues for such a long time. And this is kind of the first survey where I'm seeing people say, okay, well, this is actually how we're going to address it now um, on a more permanent scale. But what was, in your opinion, the most salient finding in the survey for you? I think for me, and I always come back to this, you know, we, we've had some great conversations around not just the, the technology piece, but also the, the human element to, you know, to, to working with companies and building teams and building strategies. And, and so some of the, the, uh, the data points that have come out of your past surveys and some of the, the research that we've done at CFO.com indicate that the communication level between the C-suite and the rest of the company has sometimes left been left to be desired. You know, it hasn't always been great, and and I think there's always been sort of the the ivory tower sort of syndrome with a lot of the C-suite, and the rest of the company doesn't always feel like they're connected to the decision making process. I'm sure studies will be done in over the next decades about the impact of the pandemic on that communication and that relational environment within companies. Um, but I can say that for the companies that we've talked to on CFO.com, it actually strengthened those, those relationships to a large degree because they realized that from a leadership standpoint, they had to go above and beyond to stay connected to the rest of the people that, that supported all of the efforts and were responsible for the actual implementation. And, uh, and so some of the data points that, that uh, you know, we've talked about in the past are uh, managers at the manager level and the, uh, the senior manager level, they felt disengaged from the CFO's decision-making process. And so the CFO might feel like, I'm great at communication. I tell them everything that I want them to know. But from the manager level and the staffing level, it's, it, that's, that's not enough. Uh, we, we hear what you're saying, but we don't always think that you hear what we're saying. And, uh, and so some of the data points that we've seen in this current survey, I think, bear that out. Do you, do you have any other thoughts on that before I, I take it in another step further? 
I think it uh, it's funny that you bring it up because I do think it's one of the very unique aspects of the survey because, like I said, there are a lot of CFO surveys out there. And this is one of the few I've seen that actually incorporates a statistically relevant portion of non-finance executives and managers. Mm-hmm. And when we started, we actually did only interview CFOs. And then we said, well, we're getting their perspective, but like, what's everyone else's perspective of how they're collaborating, how they're communicating, how they're contributing to the company. So I do think it was a really interesting tactic to take with the survey. And something I've noticed, uh, we've kind of asked it some pretty pointed questions around how is the financing doing? How are they contributing to the company? But also we asked the finance team a couple of surveys ago, what do you enjoy and what do you not enjoy in terms of job tasks? And like, sometimes you just see a pretty large portion of those CFOs respondents saying, I don't really like having to communicate a lot and like kind of trying to explain like the numbers to everyone. But as we've gone on with this survey, you kind of see people moving more towards CFOs moving more towards I'm, I'm feeling better about working across business functions and mm-hmm. um, helping people understand the numbers. I know that's kind of where my job is going. So it's going to be really cool to look back and several years time and see how this shift has completed. Cause I think we are just seeing the beginnings of that over the past couple of years. Yeah. And, and yeah, totally agree. And I think maybe there's from a leadership perspective, there's a, a certain level of calculus going on in the sense of if I don't expand my capabilities and competencies as a leader who understands how to communicate, how to manage, be a better manager, how to understand where people are coming from, we may lose them. They may go somewhere else. And uh, and if we do that, we're going to suffer for it because it's not easy to backfill positions anymore. Uh, we've we've talked to executive search firms uh, at, uh, at CFO.com and, and headhunters and things like that. And they say there are certain roles within the finance and, the, and the accounting departments that you cannot find people. And if you happen to find them, you're going to overpay by 50 to 100 percent, given the, the, the importance that they have. And uh, and so, again, that kind of you know, circles back to what we were saying earlier about it, it's a seller's market for, for labor. Uh, people know that they they have high value and they're they're capitalizing on that as they should. Now, here's the interesting conundrum that I'm trying to to make sense of from that that is borne out from our survey is that by and large, the managers say that we trust leadership, we trust the CFOs, we think they're doing a good job, we think they're doing a better job with the communication piece of it. And yeah, we're we're generally happy with our roles. Our roles don't feel like they are overly taxing on us. They feel right. That's all good. But then half of the managers said they're actively looking for new jobs in 2023. So Megan, how would you square those two sets of data points? I genuinely have a document of main survey findings where there's just a bunch of question marks after that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think I think people do realize like for certain fields and certain industries, there are a lot of opportunities out there that could offer a better pay and benefits, could offer maybe more remote working opportunities. So I I think like there is maybe just an aspect of I'm happy, I'm content, I agree with our leadership and things like that, but I know that there's a lot out there. But genuinely, I I saw the same data point and kind of thought, huh, 
that's contradicting and I don't have a totally full answer for why that is. Yeah. And, and I think it's probably, it's going to get worn out this year. I mean, do we actually see that kind of turnover at the, uh, the manager and the senior manager level, the sub C-suite, the sub VP level kind of thing. And if, if we do, I think that that could be a real problem for, for companies that are trying to uh, just maintain controls over their, their spending and, and costs and things like that, because that's when you really have to be concerned about, do we have the right kind of corporate governance do we have the right kinds of people who understand not only the um, like the the rules based elements to maintaining uh, consistency and controls, but also the ethical component as well? Uh, and if you lose those those mid level senior people who who are really the the guardians of that uh, that report to the CFO, you could see some some real slippage in the valuation of the company from that perspective. But it, but I also think you're right in the sense that people, you know, they feel a certain freedom right now, even in the midst of potential recession of, I don't need to stay here if this isn't right for me, because there are now avenues that I can pursue elsewhere. And, and I think it's good for people to recognize that they have agency over that. And it's important and critical that CFOs in the C-suite also recognize that the workforce has shifted to a very material degree and they have to approach it from a managerial style and a retention style in a little bit of a a different way. And uh, kind of switching directions over here, I I think even though like it is getting better uh, from what we've seen, it's just still uh, such a component of a day-to-day life of a business as a whole, but especially for CFOs. Where are we at with inflation in terms of actions being taken? What were some of the top responses for how companies are combating that? Yeah, I, I think um, yeah, this is going to be top of mind. It was top of mind last year. You know, when we did surveys last year, inflation was number one. Everything that we we see is indicates that it does seem to be on the decline. Uh, I believe the year over year in in December was was lower. It looks like it's on a downward trend. But we also know that the Federal Reserve has a goal. They they want to bring inflation down to a certain level of normal inflationary uh, growth over time. So it doesn't feel like it's overstressing and, and overheating the overall economy. And so the Fed will probably continue their rate cuts over time, uh, probably throughout the rest of this year, to get the inflation level to a comf- more comfortable level. So what does that mean for companies? They they need to know that uh, there there could be a little bit more pain involved, especially if they rely on the debt markets in order to do any of their funding. They know that uh, partnerships with other companies may be impinged by by these inflationary pressures on their ability to access capital. They know that. Even even being able to increase prices temporarily, just to, in order to maintain the same rate of of, uh, of price growth, there may be diminishing returns when people who buy their products and services they may say, "You you you price me out of the market. I need to go to to a competitor," uh, and and they start to have to renegotiate those those types of things, and then you're you're into a situation where. Uh, the inflationary rate could be untenable for your business prospects. So they they have to continue pulling the levers that they have at their disposal. It's you know after you know after thinking about increasing prices, they have to look at okay, what is my cash inflow outflow? Is it healthy for the business? Do we have to think of ways where less cash is going out the door? Do we have to conserve our cash in a little bit of a, of a better way? So they'll look at that. 
uh, they'll look at ways that they can further optimize their operations, uh, cut out some of the fat that may have built up over time. Companies are always going to be looking at yeah, any any department that might have become bloated during you know during times of uh, more of an austere position. And also, wh- where are they going to spend? So we've we've been talking about the the tech spend, which they do want to increase and continue. Well, we've also talked about the uh, the investment in the talent and the retention, which they're probably going to scale back on, even as they know that this is really puts the business prospects at risk. So all of these things are going to they're going to keep pulling the levers on to to just I think survive the next six to nine months until I think we start to see the the economy truly turn around. And you mentioned technology spend. For the most part, respondents were pretty optimistic and their spending plans reflected that. Where else are they looking to spend? If you think about it in terms of if you have uh, if you have capital, if you have resources on your books, you have to figure out a way to deploy it because you don't want it to just sit in your, your bank account not collecting any interest, so to speak. Uh, so they know that there has to be strategic opportunities to deploy that capital because this also could be a buying opportunity for companies, especially ones that do have have growth prospects. And so I think you're, we're actually going to see an uptake in M&A activity probably in about probably in about a quarter, I would say, because as the economy has essentially depressed some of the near term growth, uh, as we said, that um, uh, the cautious, cautious optimism is that we're going to experience growth, you know, one to five percent over the next year. Some think it's, it'll it'll be a little bit higher, uh, but if that's the case, then then the valuations will be depressed, and and other other buyers could come in and say, here's a strategic strategic opportunity to buy another company that is good, it has real value, but the valuation is lower than it should be. That's a time for us to deploy our capital and buy other companies to grow. Uh, and and maybe maybe it's a full acquisition, maybe it's a tuck-in of some sort of carve-out. But but I think the the really smart companies and the smart CFOs are going to be looking at this as a buying opportunity, even as we kind of go through all of these uh, inflationary growing pains. Yeah, I actually um, attended a really interesting webinar the other day, hosted by Evan Goldberg, who is the founder. Mm-hmm and executive vice president of NetSuite. And one thing that he pointed out is kind of during these economic times where it's it's a little shaky on if it's going to slow down, if it's going to speed up, he, he kind of um, he, he highlighted the fact that it's important to be opportunistic, to be looking for those opportunities that will, one, help you survive in the near term, but are really going to set you up to thrive in the long term. Um, I'll actually, I'll put a link to that in the description because it's a very interesting um a very interesting webinar and it, it kind of correlates well to a lot of the things that we're talking about and I, I may hear you and that's exactly what I hear I was even just talking to uh coincidentally enough a a founder of a company in in Denver uh, not too far from mm-hmm. where you are and uh and and he he is a, a small business uh he's he does business with with companies that are 15 million in revenue. And and he tells me it's a, it's an opportunistic time for a lot of them. They they are not afraid of the situation. They they say they're doing well. Some of them, he said, even feel like they expect record years this year in terms of growth. Now that's that's kind of amazing that they're not afraid of the situation, but they see it as an opportunistic environment to not only protect their business but also grow it and and take market share. And so yeah, you know, that's 
those are real people telling their real stories about how things are going. So we always want to look at it at the granular level as well as the macro level. I love that. And I do have kind of one more data rooted question for you before we jump into a little more logistical details. Now, we've kind of uh, glossed over this, but one thing I think is really interesting is how the actions of those companies closer to about 50 million in annual revenue, maybe below that, and the companies that are above that closer to 250 million. I want to know how maybe the sentiment differs between the two? Well, certainly the the smaller companies are going to be more, a little bit more sensitive to to inflation, particularly if they're in production of goods. I mean, and and, and this is is the really cool thing about CFO.com and the kind of reporting that we do is that we're not just concerned about the giant SaaS companies, we're also concerned about yeah, the small, you know, 20 million to 50 million local, you know, food company or the dog food company that, uh, you know, started as a, as a family business and it's grown. And, uh, you know, those, those are the kinds of companies that this the, these situations can really harm to a higher degree, because if they lose their supplier or their couple suppliers, now they have a real problem on their hands. And so they are definitely more sensitive to this. And, and also the longer it lasts, the, the more it can hurt them. But that's also why it's so encouraging to me that uh, when I talk to, to these business owners that say, you know, we we've been through a pandemic. What else can we really go through that's going to be worse than that? We're going to we're going to follow, you know, we're going to work the process. We're going to evaluate our balance sheet. We're going to look at what we can control costs. Yeah, we may get hurt a little bit more than than, the you know, the uh, the giant tech company that's down the street that that owns, you know, you know, thousands of acres of property to house these massive campuses, but uh, we're more nimble than they are. And so if we have to pull different levers to be able to pivot, um, you know, maybe we have to scale back, maybe we have to renegotiate some contracts in the short term. We know how to do that now. We have the requisite knowledge in in terms of both leadership capability and also strategy to know that we, we have the capability of doing that. And so even amidst the, uh, you know, just all the uncertainty, the, that cautious optimism, it's, it's what we keep coming back to. I, I just, I really lean on that uh, as a matter of hope for, for what this year is going to hold for us. I think that's great. And what a perfect note to kind of wrap up on. So where can listeners find this survey? Yeah, so this survey will be on CFO.com and uh, we have a resources page and, uh, and a main link at the top of the website that it'll be posted. And so you can both see this one as well as past research that we've done. Uh, but more importantly, this we don't see this as a fixed data point. This is simply the continuation of everything that we do at CFO.com. Uh, and so as much of the reporting that we will be doing over the course of the year will be in part based on the findings of this survey. It will manifest in various ways, including the, the future stories that we do on, uh, on the inflation situation, on economic contraction, on growth strategy, on how CFOs are positioning their companies. Uh, so, so don't just look at it once. Go get a copy of it, download it, internalize it, and then pay attention to all the stories that we do that are built upon it. That's perfect. And I'm I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the description for that as well. So um, everyone can access it. What about another survey? Any plans in the works for a new one? Yeah, I, I think quarterly is is the right uh, pace to do this. And, and, and so, it, you know, we'll be we'll be starting up the engine soon enough to, to get ready for Q1. 
And I think that's going to be really interesting to revisit some of the questions that we've been addressing here today uh, to see if that sentiment has changed at all, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the tech spend, in terms of the cost controls, in terms of has the, 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 the labor and the talent situation changed at all, or is it still kind of coming to a, a position where we have to make a hard decision about how we, how we look at it? Uh, I think that's really going to bear out a lot of inf interesting information. So, so stay tuned for that. We definitely will. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on. We love having you on and uh, it's been a great episode. Yeah, thank you, Megan. I love to talk to you and uh, thank you for your insights as well. Well, all, we hit the end of another awesome episode. I like these special edition ones where we do things a little bit differently, just shake it up a bit. Especially considering all the volatility in the business world right now, it's nice to be able to do a little check-in on what others are doing and how they're handling things. One thing that really stuck out to me personally in the survey data was that move towards tech adoption to deal with the talent shortage. You know, we've been talking about the workforce for a while now, and it seems like companies are really making moves to start combating that issue with technology. So thank you so much to Andy Burt for joining us on the podcast. Definitely an episode to remember, and hopefully he's gonna be able to join us again soon. And as always, a big thank you to our wonderful editing team at Lampstand and to all of you for tuning in. If you want more episodes just like this one, make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a rating and review. Until next time, talk soon. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.